What's up, folks? Uh, we got a doozy ahead for you. Um, had a great guest on the show, uh, Eddie Smith, a.k.a. Midwestern Marks. Uh, I found this uh, fantastic person on TikTok. So if you have a TikTok, go ahead and follow him at Eddie Liger Smith uh, on TikTok. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. We kind of briefly discuss uh, the point in time in history that we as America are experiencing currently, uh, leftism in America, Marxism, and a, a few other really interesting topics. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, and yeah, uh, see you next time. Folks, thank you and welcome back to of absolutely nobody's favorite podcast. Uh, today, I have a special guest with me. Uh, special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Eddie Smith. Um, I'm a political science major. Well, I graduated with my degree in uh, political science. Um, I worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2020, and now um, I've started a website with my buddy who's a who's getting his master's degree in philosophy. Uh, it's called MidwesternMarks.com. And our focus is um, uh, talking about issues that appeal to the Midwestern working class or uh, um, just the working class in general, which is a group that we feel like has been really left behind um, in the current political discourse. So, yeah, so I've just been doing that. And then also coaching wrestling and competing in Greco-Roman wrestling here in Iowa. Nice, nice, nice. And uh, so now, of course, I found you on TikTok. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of came across you because my pot, I have a I have a TikTok for my podcast. And then I have a TikTok like that I use. Mm -hmm. And my TikTok for my podcast, of course, is a bunch of like leftist stuff because that's what I post and that's what I like. Mm -hmm. um, so you randomly just popped up one day. I believe was the video where you were talking about, I want to say, Venezuela, I think. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I, I kind of went through and like watched a bunch of your videos and really, really liked what you were doing. Uh, so I, I really wanted to have you on. So I'm. So I think our Wi-Fi might have been cutting out there for a second. But you hear me? I can now. I lost you there for a minute. Okay, my bad. Yeah, I don't know the TikTok thing. Um, my friends just like started doing TikTok after uh, after COVID hit, like during quarantine, and they were just doing like the trendy dances, like right, sing to whatever popular song. And then they started making a bunch of money through it. And I'm like, what? And I was broke at the time. I'm like, you guys are making money off TikTok? That sounds easy and fun. And then, of course, like once I got into the app, I immediately found political TikTok because that's just what I'm into. I'm like, I'm going to start making these. Um, and then it's, I really like the app. Like you can really condense, you can condense your arguments into like a minute. It's actually really challenging to try and get 
or find what facts about whatever you're talking about are going to be most relevant and what you want to say within the one minute. Especially like with Venezuela, like people kept asking me to condense my thesis into like a, a one minute video. So I did my undergraduate thesis on Venezuela. It's like 28 pages. I'm like, I cannot do that. That's impossible. But but I've tried to still do some, some good videos about that topic. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got to be hard. I mean, I do hour long episodes and I still feel like I don't get everything in that I want to talk about or I go off on tangents and forget a lot of different stuff you know so I, I couldn't even imagine trying to trying to give a persuasive uh, statement in a one minute clip it's very challenging so I, I applaud you for being able to do that <laughs> thank you it's definitely an interesting skill and like of course I want to push people towards my website with the long form content because there's only so much you can say in a minute, but I don't know. It's gotten really popular and it's been able to steer a lot of people towards the, towards the website. So it's cool. That is very cool. I, uh, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to get some of the numbers that you're getting on TikTok. I mean, I post TikToks and I get like 200 views and I freak out. So I couldn't even imagine, but, um, kind of, kind of getting away from TikTok here. So, how uh how is the situation in your area with like COVID and everything like that? I know you said you're from Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm right on the border of uh Iowa, of Wisconsin and Illinois, um, here in Dubuque, Iowa. It's we've been like a total COVID hotspot. Like honestly, nothing's really been shut down. Like the bars were shut down for a while, but mm-hmm. as soon as they reopen, like they've been absolutely packed, and as a result. A lot of people have gotten COVID, so um, I don't know. It, the We've had anti-mask protests, which have been hilarious. Like, me and a couple of buddies have gone down and, like, just looked at these people who are protesting the masks, and honestly, like, we went to kind of make fun of them, but I felt bad for them. It was, like, these people who clearly, I don't know, they spend way too much time on the internet, and they get trapped in these conspiracy theories thinking that COVID-19 was a hoax. Um, so that was interesting, but yeah. Yeah, that, um, that's kind of similar to my area. So I live in central New York and, um, in my area, because of Cuomo, we had quite a bit of shutdowns, Mm -hmm. but regardless, I mean, I worked at Lowe's when COVID started and I'd like to say that probably until, uh, July, only about half the people in the store wore masks. Uh, and up until that point, we weren't legally allowed to tell them, or at least we were told we weren't legally allowed to tell them that they had to wear a mask as an employee. The only person that could say anything would be a manager, and half of the managers at my job actually did not believe that COVID was real. Uh, I actually had a friend whose father passed away from it, uh, and the day that that happened, I was in work, and uh, my boss was, like, kind of going over my, uh, like, counting my pill. was talking mm-hmm. about how it was so stupid that we had to clean everything all the time, because she was like, there's no way that this virus is real. They're all, they're just, you know, fake these numbers. This is all a bunch of bullshit. And, like, she's very lucky that I have... 
uh, actively been going to therapy for a couple of years because if I really wanted to act how I wanted to, I would have slapped her across the face when she said that. Because, again, my friend's father died that day mm-hmm. of COVID. So, yeah. But, um, so, yeah, we have shutdowns and everything like that up here. But that doesn't really mean that everybody follows protocol. I mean, a lot of the local places stayed open when they weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of places have got shut down in surrounding areas because they're not requiring masks still. Um, we actually had one moderately uh, like locally famous bar out in a town called Utica. Um that got shut down. It had been open for almost a hundred years, um, but they got shut down because the owners weren't requiring masks, so they completely closed down. Like they're wow, gone. that's too bad. Actually. Yeah, which it is too bad. I mean, but at the same time, it, not for nothing. But wearing a mask is probably the like that. Th- this pandemic, I would like to say, has truly shown how absolutely selfish and lazy Americans are because. It's the easiest pandemic we could have ever dealt with. Literally, all we have to do is not go out and wear a mask. That's <laughs> it. That's really all that we are responsible for. And yet we can't even convince half the population is even real. Yeah, it's 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 honestly scary seeing the reaction to this pandemic, how one, the virus became entirely politicized immediately and it's mm-hmm. not, and the the denial of its existence and the denial of science, and I think part of it's because the media is such nonsense. Everybody knows it's that's one way to put it. Yeah, everyone <laughs> knows that they're not getting, you know, they're getting partisan corporate hackery when they watch CNN, MSNBC, or whatever. People feel like they right. It's impossible to find what the actual truth is. Like if you have conversations with. Um, the average American voter or non-voter, you know, a large percentage of the country doesn't even vote because they feel like they're uninformed. When you feel like there's no truth anymore and and your president is this joke, you know, this orange reality TV show host and then a deadly pandemic mm-hmm. hits, you have all these things like distrust of of the media and the government, which makes sense because the media and the government is so horrible. But then when you have something that's real, like a global pandemic that's actually extremely dangerous. Um, people don't trust the media or the government at all. And and like you said, right. everyone's so individual minded or individually minded. There's, you know, they can't even think like we would collectively all wear masks to protect each other, right? It just doesn't compete with what the American mindset has kind of become. Mm-hmm. And I think it's definite. So I, I've I've been wanting to play out this discussion with for like the longest time and I've never had like the right moment to ask this question but I think this is actually the perfect time and I'm sorry to go off script almost immediately (laughs) but um what what is it about the current place and time as well as the culture within our country that has basically convinced an entire population that like they can't die because I genuinely do think, like, I've had conversations with people who are anti-mask. And as far as I can tell, they think that they're safe. 
just because they think they're safe. They're just, you know what I mean? They're just like, yeah, I'll be fine. It's whatever. But like, like my friend's father who died, he was in perfect health. He caught it and died three days later. Hmm. Like yeah. this shit's real. So what, what is it do you, that you think about? Do you think it has to do with our like, quote unquote success as a country and like the privileged lifestyles we've been able to live? Maybe people are definitely just overly cocky and I've had people um uh like I've seen people I know get mad at other people I know cuz some people are taking the virus seriously and others are saying like don't you have faith in God like don't you like I'm not going to let my or live my life in fear it's like okay I don't want to like um hate on your religious beliefs i get it but like you you still don't want to like spread a deadly virus just because you think you're gonna go to heaven if it kills you oh if that's part of it but i've definitely seen that and i've been like come on like you're just using your religion as an excuse to not care to not inconvenience yourself by putting a mask on which I mean, not for nothing, but in today's day and age, that's usually how religion kind of gets used. It's like as an excuse to either not do something or do <laughs> something. Um, but yeah, let, let's. Let, I don't want to talk about COVID <laughs> anymore. So, um, I do, I kind of skipped over these questions, but I'm genuinely interested to ask. So, what is your least and also favorite? midwestern stereotype hmm. i think it's it's interesting that only people from wisconsin call water fountains bubblers i don't know if that's a stereotype but it's something that's like real have you ever heard of a water fountain mm-hmm. being called a bubbler before no i it's have not weird it's something i grew up with and then even like even in iowa they think it's weird so that's just the difference between iowa and wisconsin but I would def- my least favorite Midwestern stereotype is that they're all like dumb Republicans who can't um, who can't be one to the left. Like it's definitely a different culture here, I think, than maybe a place like California. But it's not like people are dumb. Mm-hmm. They know what's in their best interest. And, and Bill Clinton um, did all these free trade deals that have outsourced um, hundreds of like good paying Midwestern jobs uh, because these companies just once they can import the goods for free, you know, once the trade deals um, eliminate all tariffs, they can just go through and pay for cheap labor in another country and then ship those goods over. And that that's what's happened to the entire Midwest. And then people, uh, you know, kind of shame Midwestern voters for being for Trump or whatever. But it's like, well, the Democratic Party is completely. He told them he was going to get them jobs. Yeah, no, he he told them he was going to get them jobs. And I mean, not for nothing, but listen, we anyone can go back and forth as long as they want, talking about whether Trump is a good or a bad person. That's a useless argument. But one thing that Trump is really good at is getting people on his side, especially if people are like already moving that way. Like the reason why he was so successful in 2016 was because he was a fucking actor. He knew how to play his part. Wherever he went, he knew how to be, like, you know, a real... Uh, say he went to Iowa. He knew how to be a real Iowan 
when he goes to California, he knows how to be a real Californian to the people he's talking mm-hmm. to, you know? He has this thing about him where he can pretend to be a working-class person the same way Tucker Carlson does and convince people that, like, he's one of them. And I feel like that's a lot of what happened in 2016 with the Midwest because you're right. A lot of good-paying, you know, um, not just factory jobs, but mining jobs in the south of the Midwest as well. Uh, you got uh, all kinds of jobs over there that you now see in places uh, totally not in the United States. But, I mean, not for nothing, and I'm not saying this to slander anyone, because obviously most of our population is insanely uninformed, but if you think that, like, a president can just become a president and then just snap their fingers and bring jobs back to the United States, you kind of don't really understand the way that the world works. Because, like, there's a reason why they outsource labor. Right, and... And nothing that any of the candidates in the mainstream, except maybe Bernie, are talking about anything that's even close to to what we need in, as far as creating new jobs. I mean, we need, like, what FDR did, the New Deal. We need to nationalize a bunch of industries and and um, and create create uh, public jobs that are that are both good paying and that are helpful. Right. So, like, I did a video on this today for TikTok. If you nationalize the entire energy sector, uh, one, you can reinvest all that money that right now is going to like the Koch brothers and these oil oligarchs, and you can reinvest that in America. Two, you can transition the fossil fuel industry into renewable energy. And three, you can make sure all of those jobs are really good paying and all the workers are unionized. And then in the transition to green energy, you can... um, you can make sure that people who work in the energy industry aren't losing their jobs because fossil fuels are being replaced. But, and it's like, that seems like common sense, but nobody is talking about that. Like when we got the, the debates are a joke. It's two old men screaming at each other. And like, nobody's talking about these solutions that, that would, I mean, they're like common sense. I feel like, I feel like an idea like that is such common sense, but it it just can't happen because of the way our society is structured. And not so the the crazy thing, and I'm sure you, you know, know this, but the crazy thing about societies is because they're structured a certain way, they not only uh, become structured that way because of existing norms, but they create new norms because of the way that they're structured. So I feel like because America has been the way that it's been for so long, people have no clear understanding of what a public job is, what creating jobs really means. Because again, like, uh, I forget who it was, but I think it was one of the, uh, one of the big billionaires. It might've been Bezos. I don't know. They pledged that in 2021, they would open up. Oh, it was Elon Musk. I think that he was going to open up more manufacturing, uh, plants and he was going to employ people but what people don't understand i feel like is that doesn't mean that all right say a tesla manufacturing place needs fifty thousand employees you're not going to get fifty thousand employees 
you're going to get maybe 10,000 and you're either going to be overworked and underpaid or you're going to get 5,000 and then 500 machines and you're just going to be there to right. fix the machine. Um, you can't have in the capitalist society that exists right now, you cannot create well-paying jobs simply out of thin air because again, the same reason that billionaires are outsourcing labor to places in uh, you know, across the world is the same reason why you don't have uh, livable wage paying jobs in the States because it costs the capitalist money and therefore they won't. Do yes. It. And, and there's no end to like once, um, once you have capital and once you have private capital, that capital always seeks to exploit labor for as cheap as it can and and to profit as much as it can. You're seeing that, like, even the smallest protections that workers have fought for over the years. Like, I just did an article about OSHA that we're going to be publishing soon. Uh, Trump and the capitalists are, like, dismantling OSHA. It's like even this tiny little agency that just ma- is supposed to be there to enforce, you know, make sure workplaces aren't or employers aren't working their employees to death. Like even the capitalists are like, nope, that's too much. We got to get rid of that. Um, and and that's and to what you said, people can't think of it being any other way than that. I mean, there's been books written by this, like uh, Gromsky would call it the regime of truth. And then there's a book called Capitalist Realism. Like people cannot see outside mm-hmm. of the society they live in unless, you know, you start actually like reading some theories of political economy, which is which is now making a comeback because people people around our age are have been born into a world of like corporate neoliberalism um you know we're drowning in debt rent is skyrocketing and, and wages are stagnant and then people are telling us that capitalism is the greatest system it's like well what are you talking about that doesn't make any sense and also it crashes every 10 years um so now you're seeing like a return to marx and a return to socialism and people are starting to think i think again about like a, a better way to structure society you know, where capital and labor aren't in this constant struggle where capital is always dominating labor and exploiting the the mass majority of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like, again, a lot of people need to have their walls broken down because not for nothing. I mean, I was talking to my, I, I went over to my folks' house yesterday. I live with my girlfriend and I work a lot, so I don't see my folks very often. But I went over and I was having a discussion with them because, um, so long story short, real quick, I, uh, I haven't really read a whole lot of theory. Um, I basically been running this podcast off of emotion and personal experiences. Um, but outside of that, I really haven't, I don't have a huge educational background. Uh, I didn't go to school for this stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, 2016 Bernie Sanders was just polarizing for me. And that's what really brought me into, um, politics. But so I uh, I recently started I've I've read Capital before but it made <laughs> no fucking sense to me so so I'm I'm watching a YouTube series uh, by the Marxist Project about the fundamentals of Marxism so just like the overall basics yeah. of Marxism and I'm gonna go through and try to understand those and then go back and read Capital um, but I was talking to my grandma who is 88 years old. She was born the year of the Depression. She was born in 39. 
Or no, that wouldn't be right. I think she was born in 33. But yeah, she was born right around the time of the Depression. Her dad died when she was 14, and her mom had to enter the workforce, and she had to drop out of high school and enter the workforce. Now, someone like that, you would expect, would have some, you know, level of, uh, what do I want to say, understanding for the fact that, like, someone like you and I are in a really shit spot. You know, like, I'm 21. I'm supposed to, according to norms, be finishing up my college degree, getting a career, and moving mm-hmm. out of the house. You know what I mean? I can afford to do none of that. Um, and you would think that someone like my grandmother, who, you know, struggled so early in life, um, my, my grandfather, who she's married to, ended up owning his own printing press business, and he you know, ran that for like 40 years. Um, and they worked really hard. They're true Americans through and through true Protestant Christians as well. But they, they also have absolutely nothing. Like the two of them are barely surviving mm-hmm. on social security right now. And so I brought it up to her. I was like, you know, it's really crazy to me that like you guys, my parents and everybody else in the family, when I come to you and I talk about like, shit is fucked right now like i can't believe how hard this is you basically tell me one either life isn't fair or two well Mm. we've all been there before and it's like no you were not in the same situation that i'm in at 21 when you were at 21 when my grandma was 21 she had three children and could afford a house and a car just off my grandfather's Mm. salary you know, and they were your run-of-the-mill white American middle class their whole life. Um, but where I was going with that is, like, people need to have their walls broken down because a lot of Americans have enjoyed somewhat of a quote-unquote middle-class lifestyle, yes. you know. Um, and therefore, they haven't had a lot of their beliefs and understandings of the world around them called into question because basically for most of their life, everything yeah. worked out for them. And I, I think we see a lot of that in America right now where people are really, really start. I think COVID was you know, the, the biggest thing that could have happened right now when it comes to um, at least putting things into perspective because you have half of the country yep. right now without a job. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of. So I, I don't know. It's just... It's very frustrating to see, especially, you know, during an election year, a just general population who has really almost absolutely no understanding <laughs> of what's happening around them. Um, but yeah, so speaking of the election, um, I didn't really want to talk about this because I've done a bunch of episodes on the election. Everybody's doing episodes mm-hmm. on the election, you know. But, like, at the same time, I kind of wanted to get your perspective. So, first things first. In the, the election, right I think I think Trump's uh-huh. probably going to lose because of COVID. And, well, COVID and also how he handled the, the protests with, with he, he just, it's like, dude, when they ask you to condemn white supremacy, just 
do it, but I don't think he will because I think he's afraid that a big portion of his base doesn't want him to condemn white supremacy. But like right now when the country's in chaos and when it's and when there's a pandemic going on and 200,000 people are dead and Mm -hmm. he's still out there denying COVID like uh, he won't like embrace masks and and fully support them, even though he he got the virus. He's talking about how he's immune now. And and I don't know, people just are sick of it because like it it sucks out here right now. Like the economy's uh broken. And and like you were talking about before, um, after the Great Depression we had a huge labor movement, right? Like people realize, okay, capitalism is not, you know, able to function on its own in a way that that makes life livable for, for everyone. And there were a lot of people like it was either Huey or Howie Long at the time was saying like, we need to change, you know, we need to move to socialism, right? It's capitalism. That's totally broken. We need to nationalize huge, huge sections of the economy. And, and that argument didn't work out. Instead, they just, you know, had the huge labor movement like that, that left out people of color, but gave, you know, unions uh, did things like the new deal um, created, uh, it was either social security or Medicare. I don't know, but, um, Social Security, yeah, and then Medicare would come Social later Security. 65. But like you said, life was just easier than in my, mm-hmm. you know, college. The price of college was way cheaper um, than it is now. But, you know, eventually Reagan got in power and then Clinton and then Bush and Obama. And now Trump has been so many years of neoliberalism and wealth inequality has increased. They've enacted these these uh, ridiculous ideas about trickle down economics. And every time the economy has a crash now, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And now, like you said, the unemployment is unheard of, you know, but it's like, what are we going to do? So now there's, there's this like revolutionary feeling amongst, amongst people our age. And it's like, well, I'm drowning in student debt. I see basically no future for myself because of how bad the economy is. So what are we going to do? Are we going to, are we going to have a labor movement that, that kind of fights back against capitalists until they can get in power again and, and, and crush us? Or are we going to totally change the system and, and move towards socialism and out of the, the capitalist mode of production that always screws over the majority? Um, and I, I hope that's what people are starting to realize, but I don't know. I think people are just panicked right now. I don't know how I got here. I was supposed to talk about the election, but, but <laughs> no, you're good. Continue. Biden's going to win. Going. Because, every, like I said, everything's in chaos right now. It's similar to the Great Depression, plus a freaking pandemic. It's like the Great Depression and the Spanish influenza at the same time. And then and then you just have this, like, buffoon uh-huh. leading the country, and then he gets COVID. Like, I don't know. I think people are sick of it, even his base. He didn't bring the jobs back like he said he was going to. Like, obviously, you just said 50% of people are unemployed. I think he's toast. Right. Yeah, so I uh, I also think that Biden's going to win. Um, I mean, I don't really have any reason why I think that Biden or Trump will win, because I think, like I said to my girlfriend the other day, because she's, she's slowly but surely becoming more and more interested in politics. Um, she thinks it's pretty boring, which, understandable, it can be for certain. Um, but... Uh, I told her, I was like, if I could give both Trump and Biden an 80% chance chance to win, I would. Because, it, first of all, Trump should, shouldn't have won in 2016. I mean, have you seen the video of when they uh, announced that he won? 
<laughs> yeah, he's like so confused and Loki kind of disappointed, it seems like. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but he pulled it out. You know, nobody nobody took Trump seriously until like October of 2016. And then he won. And so I'm really worried that like we're going to get it in our head that like, oh, Biden's going to win. You know, we might see a little bit better circumstances, which we'll get there in a second. But um, I don't want to get my hopes up, which Biden is not a <laughs> hopeful candidate. That's for sure. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't ultimately say one way or another who I think will win. Um, I think it's most likely right now that Trump will win. Uh, to your points about him catching COVID, um, because in America, really, the worst thing that you can do is <laughs> look like an like a jackass. Like Trump for nine months has been like, ah, this isn't real, and then he got it. And whether whether you know his base thinks that he actually got it, or whether you know his base thinks that he's sick or whatever, it doesn't matter. The people in this country who you know vote the way that this country votes, which is, you know, a popularity contest, they watched Trump get owned by a fucking virus <laughs> that he had been making fun of for almost a year. He just, he lost, you know? Uh, somehow or another, he might pull it out. Uh, I think a, a, a good a good take was um, I believe it was Matt on Chapo Trap House. Um, yeah, I, I listen to, listen to podcasts, but he he said that basically what he thinks is going to happen is the votes aren't all going to be counted by midnight. Trump and Fox are going to, quote unquote, accidentally announce that they won. And then when, you know, the Democrats go to refute it, Trump's going to be like, see, I told you this whole time they were trying to rig the election. And then we're going to see a 2000 Al Gore situation where it's going to go to the courts and he has Amy Coney Barrett on the court. Now he's going to win and he'll steal the election. We know that it will happen if it happens that way, because there was if, if you look back at 2000, Al Gore and the Democratic Party basically just went shit. Mm -hmm. All right. Like, they barely even fought. And so now, 20 years later, you're looking at a completely lifeless, <laughs> useless Democratic Party. You think if Trump pulls that shit, they're going to have anything that they, they can do to stop him? No. So I think one way or another, we will see Trump as president in 2021, whether that's because he won the election or because of some fuckery. Um, but uh, so I've seen a lot of people talk online about, like, a Trump versus a Biden presidency, like in the current moment, really what is going to be better for the working class. Um, and I've seen some arguments uh, for Biden saying that he's weak, he's incapable of running the government, and therefore that might radicalize some folks. Uh, he also might not kill us if we protest. And some have even claimed because he and his administration, well, I, I shouldn't say his administration, because he himself is so weak minded, it seems that he could, quote unquote, be pulled to the left. 
Uh, no, he's they're not talking. gonna be pulled to the left. I mean, they're talking about he's weak. Biden's not gonna do anything. He's literally just a corporate puppet. Like he, he's gonna just serve Correct. the interests of his donors. Like, Correct. I'm voting for him because I think he might maybe appoint some more pro labor people to OSHA because the Democrats are still like slightly better when it comes to like not deregulating the economy to no end, whereas the Republicans are will ruthlessly deregulate any gains that workers have fought for. But but like but like people who think Biden's mm-hmm. like too stupid or too old to run the government are silly. Like he's not gonna be doing anything. He's gonna have a team of like corporate handlers who 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 just basically run the country. And then I'm assuming in twenty twenty four if Biden wins they'll just have Kamala run. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, you know, I, I've also kind of gone over the, as I'm sure many people have, uh, the scenario in my head of when Biden ultimately croaks, uh, what a Kamala Harris presidency is going to be like. And I think that we would, I feel like Kamala Harris would just be a more authoritarian <laughs> Yeah, Obama. that's probably a good way to describe it. She would be, she would be scary. She would. She's a scary fucking woman. She really is. But people think because she smiles and does that weird white person dance where you just like (laughs) move your arms and your shoulders at the same time. Um, they're like, wow, she's quirky. She's what the hell running like even see. Um, I see like I've I've seen them like um lose their minds over Pete Buttigieg and Kamala for doing the dumbest shit. I'm like, well, how is this appealing to anyone? Oh, like, yeah. I, Kamala uh, I, and Pete make me sick. I don't even understand how what their appeal is to people. But it's like upper middle class white liberals just love them. If you met them at a party, they yes. would be the worst <laughs> people ever. Oh, my goodness. Um, So we kind of talked about the debates already, but... Have you watched uh, the debate and the town halls? Do you have any extra comments that you want to say about those? And it was just, I ended up turning it off. Yeah. I don't even think with like the questions they're being asked. Like I, you could really see that during the Democratic primary. They'd be like, Joe, how would your leadership be better than Trump's? Kamala, what's it like to be a woman of color and be on the stage? Bernie, how do you defend the legacy of Joseph Stalin and Fidel Castro? Like, the questions are so biased <laughs> when you have an actual progressive on the stage. And then when it's Biden and Trump, they're like, what do you think about Trump's tweets? You know, just the dumbest questions that have nothing to do with the problems that are actually facing working people. And then, and then of course, like, Trump just talks over Biden the whole time. <laughs> Biden had no ability to, to defend himself because he's an old man. Right. That shit. Listen, I don't care what anyone says. At the end of the day, I think Donald Trump is one of the (laughs) funniest people alive. Like who he is as a person is just a pure asshole, but in a way that's comical to watch. Uh, Another podcast, uh, Trillbilly Workers Union. If you don't already, you should check them out. They did an episode about those debates where they did an intro of one of the the hosts reading the passage out of the Bible of the three temptations of Jesus Christ. And um, he was basically trying to make the point that Donald Trump was like (laughs) the devil on Joe Biden's shoulder, just whispering in his ear, like, 
you're not good enough for the job, Joe. You're not going to be able to do it. And then Joe Biden's just like hallucinating. He's just like, no, I'm, I can do the job. I can do it, man. Shut up, man. Like, it's it's really like, um, it's genuinely like the devilish character in like TV shows that shows up on the shoulder versus the angel. And Trump's just whispering in Biden's ear, like, all the reasons why he's going to fuck up. So it was pretty hysterical. Um, So, yeah. Uh, So, I mean, my next question that I had written down was, do you think that either of them is going to improve material conditions for the working class at all? We obviously know that that's not true. Um, If that were true, we would have saw Bernie Sanders running for president if the intention of our government was actually to improve conditions for us. But we got rat fucked out of that once again, Um, which I mean, I don't even know where I stand with Bernie right now, especially Mm -hmm. after he endorsed Biden. But he's got to play his game. He's a politician at the end of the day. Um, But yeah, so kind of skipping over here like i said i've uh i've been doing a lot of education um learning about the basics of marxism and stuff like that so obviously your website is called midwestern marks you post submissions and you have the online journal um you're also i see uh in yes. the process of making a print yeah we're gonna just uh put together a bunch of essays and we have some people who are doing artwork. Um, a couple people submitted like poetry. That was really cool. Um, so we're going to do that. And like, I'm going to do a big long essay about the main targets of us imperialism heading into 2021, regardless of whether Trump or Biden is president and how to like fight back against those. Um, and, and yeah, and our patrons our $10 patrons get one. And if not, we're going to sell them. And, and for everyone else, we'll sell them for like 15 bucks. They should be pretty cool. We're pretty pumped about it. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to talk to you more about that uh, after the show. Um, but yeah, no. So you seem obviously as if you align with Marxist uh, theory. And I was wondering if you could kind of take a moment to go into why it is that you uh, feel that Marx really had it all figured out versus, you know, all the other people who have theorized about the, the world and how all these systems work. Um, if that's yeah. a good question. Just explain why you picked Marxism, I, I guess. The best thing about Marxism is that um, he, well, sorry, I should rephrase that. I can't say the best thing because there's a ton to it. And, and the one thing is that Marx knew that he didn't have it all figured out and that and the whole tradition of Marxism is one that's always questioning and challenging. Right. So it's supposed to be based off using the scientific method to study how the economy works. And then you can use that to see how see how history moves. Right. So so we had the economy, the economic system, the mode of production, as Marx would say, of feudalism where people worked like for kings and you lived on the land and you paid tithes. And then, yes. And then eventually there was a march called the bourgeois revolution. They kicked out the kings and, uh, and then there were capitalists and the workers, the proletariat would sell their wages to the capitalists. So what comes next after that, you have a majority of workers who are being exploited by a minority of capitalists. The the capitalists have all the wealth and power, uh, but the workers are providing all the labor. 
So eventually, and and that's through the capitalist mm-hmm. ownership of private property, right? Just because they own these things through inheritance or whatever, or maybe they came into some money and used it to purchase a lot of stocks, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they actually just had an amazing idea and they made it happen. But basically, everyone who comes to power under capitalism starts from money or inherits some kind of money, um, especially in the beginning. So eventually you're going to have workers right. claim those means of production for themselves. And then you're going to have the elimination of the capitalist class and you move to something called socialism. And then at that point you can eliminate the state and move to what's called communism. Now, I don't know that it'll work exactly like that. Um, but we, you have in Marxism, like in books like capital or books that came after like Lenin's imperialism or Rosa Luxemburg's The Accumulation of Capital is a scientific, using the scientific method to study the flow of capital. So studying how capitalism works, how it, how it divides labor up less, you know, and alienates people from their work, right? You don't have chair manufacturers who go cut down a tree, carve it into a chair and sell it. You have an assembly line where people do one tiny little job all day and it takes all the, the joy out of work and and you're also being paid nothing and it it studies how capital accumulates in fewer and fewer hands which we've seen as wealth inequality is growing uh fewer and fewer people own uh more and more wealth and 78 percent of americans now uh are working paycheck to paycheck uh and and this was all stuff that marx predicted and then lenin predicted that once um we have these global banking institutions like the world bank and the imf it's going to yeah, it creates finance capital, which can then go abroad and capitalism will always turn into imperialism. The dude said that in 1917 and post World War Two, the United States, IMF and World Bank have become these giant um, imperialists. The U.S. has been, you know, the the main tool of private capital to expand itself. Right. Anytime a foreign leader nationalizes their country's resources, the U.S., does a coup or completely invades using the military. Um, and, and this is stuff that these guys predicted in 1850 and 1917 because they looked at capitalism and they saw how it worked. Um, and, then, and then you're told your whole life that Marx was an idiot who, whose theories were all wrong and they oversimplify and strawman what he actually wrote. When if you go in and read it, you're like, oh my gosh, the dude predicted everything that's happening in our late stage capitalist society. Yeah, I definitely have found, although capital was one of the most confusing things that I have ever consumed, um, one thing that I did definitely get from that is that Marx was genuinely analyzing the world around him. You know, a lot of people would argue that Marx was just trying to create a society where, like, for example, my parents have little to no understanding about Marx, like Karl Marx himself. So according to my parents, what Karl Marx did was he just wrote a book so that he could have a society where everybody sat at home and got drunk or smoked weed and did nothing (laughs) and got money for it. That is what my folks think about Mm -hmm. Marxism. Uh, Obviously, we know that it's not true. But the most amazing thing about Marx himself and Engels, of course, um, is that they are two people who, in a time before the internet, in a time before mass information, in a time before really any way that they could check their, you know, 
theories, they were able to almost perfectly analyze the systems that were in place there, how they would progress, what that progression would cause in the way of, you know, economic downfalls, revolutions, shift of capital, you know, all these different things. And yet you have people today who still believe that if you work hard and save up, you get to live a middle-class lifestyle who will hear someone talk about Marx and completely tune out. Cause they're like, no, he's just, you know, it, he had no idea what he was talking about. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's weird in the U S like the, we view the most important philosophers of all time is like, idiots because of mccarthyism and because of the red scare but i saw a tweet the other day it said like lenin is one of the most important and influential uh political uh, philosophers of all time and you're not taught about him at all in american schools and to the extent that you are that it's like oh he's like a mass murderer who led this revolution but like if you read lenin's theories like they perfectly explain how the state is used as an apparatus you know like to it you know the state has a monopoly on violence Lenin says that they're correct right yes. so they're these organizations of armed bodies who the capitalists use to uh to suppress the working class and right now you're seeing riots against police brutality and again it's like Lenin wrote in 1917 that the capitalists are going to use these armed bodies to suppress you guys and like here we are in 2020 the police are murdering people and we have this drug war you know this mass incarceration thing based on uh based on the prison industrial complex profiting off keeping prisons filled with bodies. And it's like, this dude predicted it in 1917 and you're taught that he's got nothing to teach us. Like, come on. It feels like yeah. you're in the freaking twilight zone. Once you read Marx, he's like, Oh wow, that makes sense. I figured out how capitalism works. And everyone's like, no, you're an idiot. It's like, no, you're all idiots. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a, uh... It's not really a dep- I mean, it is a depressing thing, but more than anything, it's an angering thing yeah. because I just want to grab people and just shake them and be like, literally, look at the fact that you cannot afford a fucking home. <laughs> like people, people talk about the fact that like, oh, well, I have a house and a car and a job, so I'm successful. And it's like, no, the bank owns a house that you pay on every month that they'll take the second you miss one payment. Same with your car and your job. You do one thing wrong that your boss doesn't like and you don't have a job anymore. None of that is static. None of this shit that we are experiencing right now is constant. And if COVID didn't bring that into perspective for people, I really don't know what will. I mean, we have Donald Trump as our president. The fact that that didn't make half of our country just go, oh yeah, this shit definitely does not work the way that it's supposed to. Yes, like it's it makes crazy. me angry, but it's at the same time, now that I'm like have gotten somewhat of a following on TikTok, it also makes me inspired because now that now that I'm out of college and like or now that I have this like proof that the message that I'm preaching is actually getting to some people, like it's reassuring. Like, okay, if I explain these things that I see as wrong with the world in as simple way as I can, like people will agree with it, you know, and they will will get on board it's just a matter of spreading that and getting through the you know essentially a hegemonic media run by extremely rich people but i think the internet also gives us an opportunity as well to reach reach more people with our message you know and 
And when you have like a Chinese company like TikTok, they don't censor any really anything you say about Marxism and stuff, which which is funny. That right. The Republicans say that TikTok is like a way China's using to infiltrate our country. And you'd think it'd be kind of stupid, but I'm like, I don't know, maybe China's like boosting all my content so I can infiltrate Americans with Marxism. Hey, maybe that who the fuck cares? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go into a discussion about China. I don't even want to go. There. But like, here's here's my favorite thing about the whole TikTok scandal. They, they essentially because what they were I don't I don't really know what has happened since. I mean, I still have TikTok, so I don't know what the fuck is going on. But like they were going to try to sell TikTok to an American company. And then Tencent, the company that owns TikTok of, you know, espionage through the app. What the fuck do you think? Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. What do, what do you think all these different American-owned apps do? They data mine. They do espionage. They're just not doing it in other countries. And it's like Americans. But we're also this. doing it in other countries. The, yes, the Americans have this like dogmatic fear of the government, but they're like, all right, as long as a private corporation is stealing my information and data mining me, I'm okay with it. But as soon as it's like the Chinese, you know, as soon as they think it might be the Chinese government, they freak out. But like Americans have no fear of like private institutions and corporations becoming big. It's like, you know, that like libertarianism. I feel like anywhere else in the world, libertarianism is like a joke ideology. You know, like, what do you mean you're going to have like no government and all of a sudden capitalism is going to work? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But here in the U.S., it's like pretty popular um, because scared of the government, which makes sense because the government is horrible and it works as a tool of private capital. But it's like the solution to that is not to cut all social programs um, it's the, like no one just hand the mantle you know? over to Jeff Bezos, right? I'm sure you know if we completely get rid of the government, I'm sure the capitalists won't make their own like private army and and ex- expand foreign capital overseas and do endless wars. Like that, I, I mean, what do you think security forces are in the United States? That's, <laughs> right, that is, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, at the end of the day, like we already discussed, people are so detached from their material reality that they can't understand why simply erasing the government from existence is not going to do anything except for further the problem. Because now, rather than having a government, uh, you know, an elected body, which we can, you know, go back and forth as long as anyone would want about whether electoralism works, mm-hmm. but that's besides the point. The, the fact that an elect, you know, is doing all this stuff, causing all the problems that it's causing. I did a privately organized uh, company will do anything better for you and I. Help you and I. Right. That Amazon will run a better, better government than... Yo, yo! See, this is why I fucking hate Anchor. Yeah, <laughs> but it is what it is. So, I lost you about thirty seconds ago. I said over you, and then I lost you. That I don't John would run a better government than the United States does. Uh, that was the last <laughs> thing that I said. 
Right. And they they essentially already do run the United States. I mean, think about how much this, Bezos This is very true. Money. So Bezos is buying up real estate right now. So he's going to own then the housing. He owns Whole Foods. So he owns the housing, the food. He owns the Washington Post. So he also owns the media you consume. And then he owns Amazon. So mm-hmm. he owns the products you buy. It's like this is just feudalism with extra steps. It's like we we might as well just go back to having lords and we all just live under under Bezos and pay him tithes. I think I think I would look good in a little surf costume. <laughs> I uh I just feel like people don't really con- like conceptualize the fact that like because here's my thing. So one of my friends is actually a devout libertarian, which don't even get me started. <laughs> but like uh he uh he has it in his mind as every libertarian does that you know like you said the problem stems from the government itself not the systems in which exist that the government perpetually creates yeah. uh, so in 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 you know this ideology you have this assumed theory that if you remove the government and simply have a stateless society with capitalism you will be able to see, like you know, many libertarians say, true voluntary exchange. Now we know, obviously, that that's not true because what they say is, with without regulations, you will have true free market capitalism. Mm-hmm. But how is it that you would expect that removing regulations that are put in place to protect the working class of a country would make it better? for that working class like that doesn't make those it doesn't make sense they systems exist go ahead it it stems from the fact that like you said the government like is is more a reflection of like the mode of production so right our government is a reflection of capitalism and and so it's a reflection of class struggle so you have the government does things like um, invades other countries for oil, you know, and, or or perpetuates the prison industrial complex. But then the government also provides Medicare and Medicaid, right? Because there are things workers have fought for, and then there are things capitalists have done, and and it's mostly won by capitalists. But you can also use the government as a tool to help workers, um, you know. So the state just reflects uh, the class struggle, you know. Um, the more the more programs workers. The more that workers organize and fight, the more things you'll see in the state that reflect, you know, or that are beneficial to workers. Um, and this idea that if you just remove the state apparatus completely, all of a sudden everything will function perfectly and, the you know, workers will be living, you know, it'll be great for them. Like that. What a joke. You know, who? I can't believe people really think that. I don't know. It seems like a lot of young kids to me. Right. Like a lot of. um yeah, I mean, my friend's, I think he's 22, 23, uh-huh. but I think more so than anything, it stems from a, and I'm sorry to my friend <laughs> Sam, who might listen to this, but I feel like more than anything, it stems from a privileged perspective, where you mm-hmm. think that your problems exist simply because of one entity. And like, again, like you say, right. the state itself, the state apparatus, it, it can exist and be used for good Mm -hmm. and i feel like more than anything what actually would want if their ideals actually aligned with their material conditions 
would a would want a worker run government because then the regulations that existed or the regulations that don't exist because obviously we want a economic system where the people in power can take advantage of and exploit people at their wits end mm-hmm. um, but i feel like they would want a workers state because then at least the workers are the ones deciding and they are going to be the ones that are also affected by these, you know, exploitative yes. practices, duration, and therefore they are going to make intelligent decisions about whether or not something should happen. Because again, they themselves will see a reflection of that change in their own material reality. But we don't have that in our government. I mean, you got people like Nancy Pelosi, who, <laughs> you know, I, I doubt that one decision that she has ever made has influenced her life one way or the other, um, other than only giving herself more power and, you know, a better life than the rest of us. But let's uh, let's I'll try to refocus this here. Another question I was going to ask you was, so we're pretty uh, we're pretty deep into late capitalism, mm-hmm. obviously. Um Marx proposes that capitalism is a step towards communism in a progressive state. Yeah. But do you think that he properly accounted for how much we as American citizens would come to fetishize the very system that is oppressing and exploiting us? And how has that led us to a place where I believe we will not actually see a true workers' revolution? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, all, I think... I think we still might see something. I mean, think a lot of how long feudalism was in existence or even slave society before those revolutions came about. We've already had um, the success of a lot of Marxist states. And now you even see China becoming the most powerful economy on the world. And essentially they've done it by uh, doing socialism. Like they have giant state industries, the Chinese steel industry is the largest in the world. And then the, the party has huge control over the private sector of china but then they've also Mm -hmm. opened china up to foreign capital so they also have like mcdonald's and stuff it's just all their mcdonald's have to have a labor union and they stay their event so that gives their people like the commodity fetishism that western capitalism offers and cuba's kind of moving Uh towards this too um in order to try and keep their people's revolutionary um like you know, their revolutionary consciousness. And in China, they've been really successful. The CCP is almost like 100,000 people. So now the U.S. is this overextended, bloated empire. And then you have a country in China that's in no wars, you know, and you can criticize what they're doing um, as far as calling it social imperialism. But they're giving loans out, you know, uh, loans to the to countries to help with their infrastructure. And these are countries who have previously been indebted to the IMF and the World Bank. And China's now, you know, wealthy enough where they're saying, no, you can come take out loans with us instead and we'll help you build up your infrastructure. And a lot of the countries are doing that that in our countries where the U.S. has has bombed the crap out of. And you can say it's social imperialism if you want, but really it's, I don't know, it's it's creating relationships certainly between a lot China and those countries, right? And they're challenging U.S. global hegemony. And now you're seeing, like, the U.S., we have this comical, comically dumb leader, and and it seems like the U.S. might be, on, the U.S. empire might be on its last ropes here. 
That's definitely the way that I am feeling. So having to do with the revolution. Um, so what, one thing that I, I put in the notes, and I kind of made this connection the other day. Uh, so post-World War One and World War Two, many uh, philosophers believed that we would see a workers' revolution because you know, you had all these people coming back from war, coming to a country that had nothing, nothing for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of people were able to escape into middle class suburbanism. Mm-hmm. But besides that, even they still did not actually enjoy middle class suburban life. They got to pro- they got to play theater mm-hmm. as a middle class. You know, again, to my point about you don't own your house, the bank does. But a lot, so a lot of people thought after World War One and World War Two we were going to see a revolution, but instead people just burrowed into society and made themselves their own section of middle class lifestyle. To point out that we are at a similar point in time to both post World War One and World War Two mm-hmm. because of COVID. You know, COVID has thrown essentially the entire world into disarray. Whether your country has handled the virus properly or not doesn't really matter. The whole world is basically fucked right now. Um, We don't have an economy that would allow people to escape into a middle class lifestyle. We don't have jobs that would allow people to escape into a middle class lifestyle. So you have all these people in America, and I would assume other neoliberal states as well, who have no, like, road to go down. You know, a lot of people think that we might see a revolution, but I would argue that I think that, at least in America, I don't think that you have a revolutionary people. Mm -hmm. You know, like, go to any college campus and ask one of those kids to pick up a Molotov cocktail and go burn down the police precinct with you. You know, you, you're not going to do that. You have a bunch of, and not, this is not to say anything against anyone necessarily. This is just my assumption due to the experiences that I've had. I could be living in a, because we do where I live kind of is more upper mm-hmm. class quote unquote, but like, I feel like you have these, and I, I don't want to say pussified, but like people who don't really have the tools necessary so that if a revolution did happen, it would be a success, mm-hmm. you know, because you have these most of I would argue that most of America is liberal or at least centrist. Um, and I don't think that that is a country that is ripe for a true revolution but i do think that similar to world war one or i should say post world war one and post world war two we are in a similar economic social and political spot in time so what is it that you think is going to be the rupture of change that's going to come i know that's quite a big question and quite the speculation but in in your mind's eye what what do you see america at least moving towards next. Um, I don't know. And well, I don't think we're close, right? <laughs> like if you look as far as like revolutionary parties who you have like CPUSA and then you have uh, um, 
CPUSA is Communist Party USA. Then you have uh, PSL, Party for Socialism and Liberation. And then you have DSA. And DSA is growing a lot. And that's a more like a, a far less militant group, you know, really inspired by Bernie. But all these, all, you have these parties who all are split for various reasons, you know, different takes on, you know, theory or whatever. And, and the American left is splinter and the entire American working class, essentially, or not the entire, but a good portion of them are loyal to Trump and the Republicans. And like you're talking about, like, what kind of people are fit for a revolution? It's probably like the, the hicks, you know, the people who have like guns and who are and who are oh, working, for sure. you know, trade jobs or agricultural jobs to where if they go on strike, you can bring the whole economy to its knees, which, you know, I think that's probably the best tool we have, like. There's 40,000 unionized railway workers, right? If they all go on strike, they can essentially make whatever demands they want because the entire economy relies on an industry like that to, to transport goods. So so if they if they gain the ability to have a sustained strike, they can demand almost anything they want from the government. So that's one place to look in America. And we also have a really long revolutionary history in America. You know, especially in our trade unionist movement, you know, of, of socialists and communists in the trade unions who have who have fought for socialism and, and have gotten a lot of the gains that workers have have gotten over the years. And that's essentially been hidden from us. Right. Because they don't want us to learn about our revolutionary history. So we don't have a revolution again. And like, and, and that's why I think it's our impetus to share that history. And me and my buddy, Carlos, who runs the website with me, we're actually we're, we just started today, like research for a book on the we wanted to publish a book on the revolution the history of revolutionary thinkers and activists in america because there's a lot of them you know and and like you said people have become kind of i don't know i don't see that much revolutionary consciousness out there right now but it could be spread and i mean i guess that's what we're trying Mm -hmm. to do with the with our your podcast and my videos and website and stuff is spread that class consciousness Certainly. And I think also because of the place in time that we are in, and I would argue the uh, imp- uh, the implementation of the Internet probably took what could have been a revolutionary moment and put it all online, you know, rather than, say, going up to your boss and saying, hey, you treat me like shit. So either you're going to treat me better or I'm going to quit. Instead, we right. tweet about it rather than, you know, going down to our local uh, government and demanding that, you know, the roads in our town be repaved or that a true, you know, uh, emergency. Like, for example, in central New York. Um, I I had a co-worker who tested positive for COVID. Luckily, uh, Well Now, uh, which is an urgent care around here, was still open and I was able to get a test done. But other than that, the only resources that we have in my area to get COVID tests is on the base in the city by us. Um, and they're the 15 minute like express tests, which are normally incorrect. Um, which is again why my coworker tested positive because he took one of those and said he was positive and it hmm. turned out he wasn't. Um, but like, why is nobody going to their local government and saying, "Listen, there's literally a pandemic. We need a 24/7 uh, operating testing facility uh, where people can go and get tested on site and get results quick and be able to 
be given the you know needs that they need to have in order to quarantine test like for example when i had to quarantine it was before i got my full-time job um so shit all right cool um <laughs> I lost you there for All a right. second. Before I got my full-time job was when I was quarantined. So I wasn't making a lot of money. So I couldn't afford groceries. So I had to get a food pantry to drop off groceries. Dude, if you know how much of an ordeal that was, how many phone calls <laughs> I had to make just to get a box of groceries delivered to my house, mm. that's insane. But again, that, that's really cool about your book because you're right. People do not understand what demands we really can make as a working class. Yeah. Um, you pointed out that 78% of this country lives paycheck to You know, mm. stop working, go on strike. Right. Watch, watch how quickly you might be able to see that not be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, people don't realize the power that their labor actually has. Correct. See people debating whether the labor theory of value is true is like there's this huge thing with like activism where they debate the minute details of like what Marx said and how true it is. It's like, dude, who cares? If we go on strike, the capitalists need to listen to us because they require our labor. Like, why make it more complicated than that? You know, that's all we need to understand, really. But, and I think that's an important thing to translate to people. And I've had a lot of young, like, you know, people like 16 year olds who watch my lives because of TikTok and they don't really understand leftism and they're like anti-union at times, you know, I'm like, no, you need to like support unions if you're going to be a leftist. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, there's, we got a lot of work to do with them. The left in America is very weak. Like you said, like there's no, there's no revolution that's coming soon. A lot of it's just online. And I've got no platform. Twitter, Twitter is the worst. Twitter is cancer, but I also love Twitter. <laughs> um, we, we simply as the left don't have a platform. I think that that's our main thing. So because we don't have a platform, we've kind of devolved into infighting and bullshit gatekeeping online mm-hmm. because we don't have an actual objective that we are working towards Mm -hmm. um but so kind of talking about that so a lot of marx's uh thought has to do with the interconnectivity of everything around us Mm -hmm. um and the need for commodities to be exchanged in the marketplace for social relations to be created Mm -hmm. um do you think that today's consumerism um has made it so, uh, you know, a leftist or working class movement is much more impossible because rather than actually creating social relations as, you know, Marx plays out, what's actually happening is just simply consumerism. Um, the, the person who is buying the t-shirt is not talking to or interacting with the person who made the t-shirt, who picked the cotton to make the t-shirt, who built the machine to make the t-shirt. They're just talking to the cashier, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, you have a disconnected, a disconnection, uh, of understanding when it comes to laboring. Um, do you think that we have gone too far down the rabbit hole? of consumerism and do you think that there is anything that could you know bring us back to to first base 
Um, I think Marx predicted the division of labor would increase, you know, and that you would have less and less, you'd be less and less involved in the, in the actual process of commodity production, you know, and, and then putting that commodity on the market, you know, so like, like you said, the cashier has no connection to the commodities that she's selling. And those commodities have probably been in like a million factories before they actually get to the store. No, but I think Marx predicted that, but it is important to recognize how the economy's changed. So you've had this rise in consumerism that's come in with, especially with advertising, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. just constantly creating wants, which again, Marx predicted commodity fetishism, which is pretty crazy um, that he called it, that it would happen like that. And now it's to the point where it is. But along with that, you've had um, an increase in, AI intelligence and stuff in the in the automating of jobs. So you have more and more people who are being pushed into the service industry. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, even though those service industry jobs don't have the the same revolutionary power as like the industrial working class, you know, like if the railway workers go on strike, it's going to do a lot more than if Burger King workers go on strike. But also like what role do those people play? Because those jobs absolutely suck. They're being paid like $10 an hour and their labor is creating insane amounts of wealth, like companies like McDonald's, you know, and those workers are getting paid dirt and they just look miserable. So it's like, what kind of revolutionary role can they play too? Um, in, in the, in the late stage consumerist capitalism that we live in, you know, we gotta, you know, Marx would be in favor of us analyzing the way that the economy changes, you know, and writing new theories and new strategies within that economy. So, Yeah, I think we just have to look at where we're at in the U.S. and we got to get like McDonald's workers and service industry employees involved, too. Mm -hmm. I would argue that um, because our economy is 57 percent service industry, uh, the service industry workers are actually our main uh, class or not class, our main group of people within the working class who would actually have a material effect on your and I's life. Uh, that could cause problems. Now, the the issue with that is, say, the McDonald's down the street for me went on strike. Well, I'll go to the McDonald's the town over, you know, or I'll go to the Burger King directly across the street. But I think that service workers in an organized coalition could affect true, true change because, like you said, service work in this country creates a insanely massive amount of wealth insane amounts of wealth um for absolutely no gains of their own and i think that if the service industry were to come to a recognition of that i think that we could see true influential change through a service industry strike because yeah the railway workers could strike and argue with the government you know and get basically whatever they wanted but exactly what what happened is exactly what we've seen happen with every other successful strike, which is it's going to be swept under the rug and you and I are never going to hear about mm-hmm. it. So I think because of the, the place in history that we exist in, I think that we have to have a more advertisable strike. We have to have a strike that will affect the lives of the working class as well in order to make it so that it cannot be swept under the, the, the rug. You know? Yes. Because if you and I don't know that it's happening, we'll never know that it's happening. Yep. Yeah. I think mean, it's also worth mentioning, too, that those companies in the service industries have become experts at union busting. 
Like I covered on TikTok Amazon's video where like any they tell their employees to report to management if they hear their coworkers talking about a living wage because that might be signs uh-huh. of unionization and there's a reason like only two Walmarts ever have been unionized, you know, like in the service industries they they understand that unions would mean less capital, less profit, surplus, less yeah. profit. And I mean, that's horrible. <laughs> like we need to teach people that they need to unionize. And then, yeah, we need to, we need to advertise the general strikes. I've seen like 10 general strikes that have been supposing like supposed to happen during COVID. And like, you know, we're just so unorganized and splintered on the left. And also we need like a united party, like an actual socialist or communist party, you know, with like, 90,000 members similar to what China has so like if we wanted to do a general strike and make a mass demand for something like Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic like we would have the power to do that and the infrastructure to like spread that around which is what we got to work on and I mean we are so far from that so we got a lot of work to do but (laughs) I think more than anything though we are at a point where a rupture could happen um, the only problem is, will we be ready when that rupture mm. happens? Um, so to that point, um, obviously, material conditions and the reality around you is something that Marx uh, really, really, really uh, insists that you need to both pay attention to and analyze and understand. Yes. Um, but I feel like something like that you know, the understanding of material conditions and a person's reality because of the society we live in has, you know, really not for nothing, but like the way that we live our day to day life is almost like our brains kind of turn off from eight to five. Mm -hmm. And then when we get home, it's like, all right, I'm, you know, Josh or Eddie. Right. How is it that you think, and this will probably be one of my last questions before we close up here, but how, and I'll also obviously give you time to ask some questions, but um, how is it that you think that we as the left in America can make the material conditions, can make the the material reality for 78% of this country evident in a way that would really strike people, that would really call into question their perspective um there's a lot of arguments you can make and you know they can be pretty simple i've gotten to a lot of people with just like the u.s throws away 80 billion tons of food but 9 million people starve to death every year like how does that make any sense because the system creates artificial scarcity you know it's underdeveloped the entire global south and then we don't distribute food in a way to where everyone gets fed you know and people are starving and picture how gruesome it is to starve to death and 9 million people are experiencing that every year. Like, what kind of human society are we if we do that? But but these are, you know, and you can study Marxism, right? You can study the economics of it um, and understand why these things happen, right? Like, why um, a market system doesn't distribute food to everybody. Um, but also, you can just make the argument from an emotional standpoint, too, you know, and you can appeal to people's emotions. We got to break it down and make it simple for people, you know. And um, a lot of American Marxists get caught up in, in gatekeeping and talking about theory and discussing how they feel about Joseph Stalin and Mao and the intricacies of what they did, rather than just pointing out how horrible the system we live under is and how bad it screws over the vat, you know, 
that stats 78% of workers live paycheck to paycheck. Like, that is ridiculous. Obviously, the majority. That's insane. The majority. This system does not work for the majority of us. So, why have we stuck with mm-hmm. it for this long? And why do we not think we can go to anything better? I don't know. I, you know, I feel like every day I can make a video on TikTok that calls out an issue because there are so many. Um, I just think we got to keep educating people. We got to, like, um, fight and organize workplaces and then just like not be pessimistic you know like keep organizing and and understand the power that workers have mm-hmm. although i will say and i've i've brought this up before <clears throat> i am a pessimist <laughs> myself like that's just how i that's just how i see the world it's very hard right. not to it is um, but i feel like we also have to understand that human beings are human beings you know we are going to be pessimistic we are going to grovel we are going to you know fall into depression and that's okay you know that's human nature that's how we react that's how our emotions work but more than anything you have to understand that you will continue to be depressed or continue to grovel or continue to be pessimistic until you actively are taking steps to try to improve your own life. And of course, it's not your individual responsibility to fix your problems. It's your government's fault. And really, the whole country's fault. Um, I speak the country as a state, not the country as in the people that exist within the country. It's the state of America's fault as to why you and I live awful lives. And therefore, it shouldn't be our responsibility to change anything. But at the end of the day, America has shown they're not going to be the ones to do it either. So, you're right. The The most important thing that I feel that we as the left can do is, um, you know, really, I think I think more than anything, we need to stop having this this thought in our head that unless you read theory, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking yes. about. Because as um, Brett from Revolutionary Left and oh, I love uh, Nick Brett. Estes, That's my favorite podcast ever. Yeah. Really? That's awesome. So then you probably know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. As Nick Estes points out, who is actually the host of the Red Nation podcast, uh, the, the native population of this country understood what Marx preached before Marx preached it. Um, before Marx was even born, they understood the, the theories and the ways that Marx was talking about revolution. And, you know, they understood... Also, what Lenin was talking about when he spoke about imperialism and all that, because they experienced it. And I think what people on the left forget is like the American public, like you said, the majority, 78 percent of this country is experiencing exactly what they need to experience in order to become radicalized. But we have to stop. And, you know, obviously, this is a very generalized statement, but we as the left have to stop your right gatekeeping. But also stop pretending as if we are any different than anyone of the working class who does not have the understanding that we do now. Because like just about, I would assume, every leftist, I was a Republican. I was a conservative. I was someone who thought that the way things are are the way that they are because, you know, well, if you don't, you know, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, what do you expect? But then I educated myself. I came to an understanding of the world and my place in it and you know that's exactly what we need to do for the 78 percent of this country who cannot miss one yep. paycheck they just have to simply understand the amount of power that they as a 
laborer within the working class of the American, you know, empire, how much power they actually hold. But we also have to get them to a point of understanding that without ego, really, I would argue without theory, because I think theory to a lot of people is a uppity, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. uh, thing to care about. You know, most people are like, I don't give a shit what Karl Marx had to say. No. So I think that we as the left have to kind of take ourselves into check and really try to learn how to become true teachers, not teachers of theory or teachers of specific, you know, political ideology or philosophy, um, but teachers of the systems that exist, why they exist and what we as the working class can do to change that. I think that that is specifically what we should be Yes, and a teacher doesn't tear people down. You know, a good teacher empowers their student, which, like we've been talking about throughout the podcast, there's so much power that labor holds, you know, within the working class as far as, you know, making demands for changing society. Um, And you want to empower the working class. And, like, I get it. Like, we have our ideas on social views, you know, um, but you have to understand that like, a lot of the American working class has like some reactionary social views, you know, um, a lot influenced by religion. And like now there's this thing with this, uh, like the cancel culture, I guess is what they're calling it on the left, where, you know, we're like, we're attacking people over their views. It's like, I don't know, obviously, obviously, I agree with the left on most social issues, but it's like, I understand if a working class American in Iowa doesn't have the most nuanced position on trans rights. You know what I mean? Like you can still recruit that person. You can still empower him and teach him about economics and his role in the economy and how things could be better for him as a worker. And then you can teach him about, you know, the struggles that trans people go through. Right. Um, But like, there, it's just this dismissal, you know, it's like this arrogant, Oh, if you don't understand every, aspect of every issue then you know fuck off it seems like that's the attitude of kind of the progressive left right now and i think we need to do yeah, away and with and i've that. certainly been guilty of that before i've certainly been guilty of that before i think um right now probably this last month has really been my defining moment as a leftist like i've definitely you know turned a corner um but no yes you are very much right the working class is certainly not woke in this country and we have to stop expecting that that is the most important thing the working class Mm -hmm. needs to do uh uh racial diversity classes is probably not the first thing that we should be uh engaging in you know like as much as those things are important just like theory i would argue that these things are important you know post organizing you know if you get a transphobe in your you know locality who is suffering the same working class struggles as you, you can get kind of get them into maybe a, a circle of, you know, leftist thinkers. And once you kind of have everything else sorted out, like you said, then you can educate them on the struggles of being transgender yes. in America. But you cannot simply write someone off for having the opinions and perspectives that they have, because you and I have the opinions and perspectives that we have for the same reason that that person does, which is their experiences, their, you know, the life that they have lived. And you cannot control that. You can help them 
and you can influence them and maybe walk them, you know, toe the line, walk them to the water. But just, you know, just like we said, when the time comes, you know? Yes. For so, sure. It's the same with theory, you know, like organize people, get them involved, get them in your groups. And then like, if they want to take the next step and start reading some of the stuff and you can give it to them, you know, but organizing comes first. For certain. Yeah. Um, so then I guess we, we've run pretty long. We're at like, I think like an hour and a half right now. Um, so do you have any questions that you would like to ask? Um, I don't know. What's it like in, uh, in New York right now? What do you think of Cuomo? Um, well, I would like to say that I love Cuomo because the one thing that is great about Cuomo is no matter who you are, you probably hate him. Um, and that's a pretty unifying, uh, thing. Like we joke about it all the time because we just got this new cigar tax in New York state. So there's now a 75% tax on all flavored, uh, tobacco leaf (laughs) products. So your cigars, your cigarellos, everything like that. There's now a 75% tax on those. And, you know, everyone that comes in who buys cigars is mostly, like, either usually wearing a Trump uh, uh, paraphernalia, or you can tell that they did vote for Trump. You know, sorry to admit that I profile or whatever, but, like, that's pretty pretty normal around here to pick out Trump voters. But, um... So they always get real pissed about it. I had this one guy who was like, now that's communism for you. And I was like, I had a moment in my head where I was like, it's not worth it. But it was like right before close. And I was like, fuck it. So I I, I said to the guy, I was like, that's actually the exact opposite of communism. I was like, this this, this is capitalism (laughs) happening. And he was like, well, I don't know about that. And I was like, well, that's okay. (laughs) And he just got really mad. He just got really mad with me. But I I, I ended up turning the conversation towards Cuomo. I go, well, that's what you get when you get an asshole like Mm -hmm. Cuomo in office. And that's kind of like, and I've never really thought about it like this before, but like, I think that that in New York State, especially New York State, as opposed to New York City, because a lot of people in Central and Upper New York or I should say upstate New York, really fucking hate the city because all our mm-hmm. tax dollars go there. But we don't understand huh. why that is. We don't understand we're the ones getting fucked. Right. You know what I mean? Not because of the city, but because of how our government <laughs> system works. But I think genuinely in this area, the hatred for Andrew Cuomo might actually be a decent uh, yeah. organizing tool. That's interesting. Yeah, I what think I'm going to do that. What I do think, you think the general feeling about AOC is? And I don't know how close you live to her district. Very far. So for perspective, where I am is directly in center of the okay. state of New York. Um, so I'm about four hours away hmm. from the city. Um, but yeah, so uh, a lot of people in my area hate mm-hmm. AOC. Um, you should know that the general population in central New York is mm. conservative, uh, upper middle class white people. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the area that I exist in. So m- most people in the area hate AOC. They, uh, they especially hate um, AOC uh, kind of since the, uh, the whole bernie campaign quote-unquote crashed and burned because a lot of people in my area think that she's like a a 
tool being used by the the Bernie Sanders and his authoritarian fascist oh, gotcha. party. Uh, yeah, that that's that's the people we're dealing with around here. Surprisingly, not a lot of Q, <laughs> but like right, like I feel like they just haven't mm-hmm. heard it yet. You know. <laughs> All right. Um, Anything I else? Think that's it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really about all I had to talk about. Obviously, you know, I had a lot of questions that we didn't really go through. I would love to have you on again. I genuinely did enjoy right having here. you on the show. Um, so we'll have to have you on again. But um, in closing, uh, I would love to have you go ahead and plug yourself because even though we talked about it before, I think that you should – take this moment to really go over just about everything you're doing because i think everything that i've uh consumed all the media that i've consumed that you have produced you know i i read your articles on your website i watch your tiktoks i you know text you so um i i think that i think that you're a very intelligent person i think a lot of people would benefit from hearing what you had to say so go ahead thank you i really appreciate that uh it's eddie liger smith on TikTok, Liger, as in, like, the mix between a lion and a tiger, um, bred for their skills in magic. <laughs> um, t- TikTok, and then Instagram, Midwestern Marks, Twitter, Midwestern, Midwestern Marks, and then uh, MidwesternMarks.com is my website. We have a Patreon that you can find there. And that's where I post, like, the articles, which is what I probably put the most work and effort and research into is, is those articles. And we just... We just hired an investigative journalist. Uh, we have a Christian Marxist on staff now. We have a historian, and then my my good buddy Carlos, who is getting his uh, graduate degree in philosophy right now, um, who's read basically the collective works of Marx, Lenin, and Engels. Um, he's almost completed everything they've ever written. So he's also got very interesting perspectives on there. So yeah, MidwesternMarx.com. Beautiful. Um, you're also working on a print journal, which your website says should be ready around 2021. We talked about that earlier. So if you guys don't uh, didn't already hear about it, just know that that's something that will be coming up that you can purchase. Or you said that your patrons will, uh, for ten dollars, yes. be able to get the book. Yeah, ten dollars patrons out. get um, a copy. So, yeah. Sweet. And then also, uh, you said that you're collecting research for a book, so be on the lookout for that eventually. Um, anything else you wanted to? No, say thank you for having me on. Keep it up. Um, yeah, and anyone who's listening, oh shoot, I just dropped my phone. <laughs> anyone who's listening to this, get organized and get involved, um, and don't give up on changing the world we live in. Fuck yeah. Um, so again, go ahead and follow Eddie Midwestern Marks just about everywhere except for TikTok where he's Eddie Liger Smith. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Hope to have you on again. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Um, you're awful at texting. I Can I just suck. say that? Dude, especially now with TikTok, I have so many um, notifications like just sitting on my phone. It just like gives me anxiety and I end up not looking at my phone for hours. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly valid um i enjoy talking to you so if you ever want to okay. talk call me um uh, which can i call you after we end this call Definitely. like just a phone call because I, I have yes. a few things i want to talk to you about Alrighty. so uh thanks again for coming on uh i have been annoying question boy 
if you don't already find me on TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and did I say fake TikTok, Instagram, Twitter at Annoying Question Boy, and then also I have a blog, AnnoyingQuestionBoy.blogspot.com, and a YouTube channel. So go ahead and check those out. Thanks for listening. I hope everybody has a lovely day or night or afternoon, whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this. Stay safe, stay healthy, and like Eddie said, get organized, get involved, and uh, do not get um, downtrodden as best as you can. Uh, Love you all. Have a good one. Uh, We'll talk to you in a minute here, Eddie. All right, peace.